John 10, 22 through 42. At that time, the Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to them, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? The Jews answered him, It is not for a good work that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law? I said, You are gods. If he called them gods to whom the word of God came, and scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the Father consecrated and sent into the world, You are blaspheming, because I said, I am the Son of God? If I am not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works, that you may know and understand that the Father is in me, and I am in the Father. Again they sought to arrest him, but he escaped from their hands. He went away again across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing at first, and there he remained. And many came to him. And they said, John did no sign that everything that John said about this man was true. And many believed in him there. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. God. This morning as you listen, I would invite you to listen for three words. Children, this is especially for you. I want you to listen to three words. The first is bunker. The second is canoe, and the third word is grip. Now in this famous passage from John 10, we come into the context where Jesus has just declared himself to be the door, declared himself to be the great shepherd, and now we see that Jesus has us tightly in his grip. Security is the hottest commodity of humanity. In the beginning, Adam and Eve, after they made a decision to turn from God, to serve other idols, to find security in other things, what did they do? They immediately went and they clothed themselves, they hid themselves, they sought security in the security of an animal skin. Security is the hottest commodity for humanity. Later, they built a tower of Babel, and humanity built a tower to ascend beyond the marauders and the invaders that were threatening them. They built it all the way to heaven, and they sought the security in their technological advancement. And what happened? God confused their languages. Security is the hottest commodity for humanity. When Abraham and Lot parted ways, 
Abraham offered Lot the choice, and Lot chose the green pastures, the security of the green pastures for his flock, and the high walls of protection of the cities like Sodom and Gomorrah. And as they were leaving Sodom and Gomorrah, Lot's wife turned to look once more at her source of security, and she was turned into a pillar of salt. Security is the hottest commodity for humanity. King David, when he sought security of fresh air, not in the rough and tumble streets of the city, but in the bucolic, elevated plateaus of his balcony, on the perch of the palace, David sought security. And soon David became an adulterer and a murderer. Security is the hottest commodity for humanity. Judas sought security and financial gain, didn't he? And I wonder how many of those 30 pieces of silver Judas had left after he bought the rope with which he hung himself. Security is the hottest commodity of humanity. It was years ago, and it is now today, isn't it? You know, about 10 years ago, after the Joplin tornado came through our area, the rise of the number of, of shelters dramatically increased. Businesses began just to provide storm shelters for families. That was a decade ago. And then about five years ago, we moved into safe rooms. And it wasn't just a shelter, but it was an entire room, a room often behind a hidden door in our house that became all the rage. And today, it's not just storm shelters. It's not just safe rooms. It's safe bunkers. And the Wall Street Journal introduced us to a couple named Jeff and Jennifer just earlier in March, who had spent millions of dollars on their bunker, underground, subterranean, and little did they know how advantageous this bunker would be for the time of the coronavirus. In fact, it wasn't just one individual, but entire corporations, entire residential real estate moguls are building subdivisions that are subterranean bunkers. In Texas, there are 510 of them built in Northeast Texas in one subdivision. 510 unique bunkers built so that not just individual families, not just individual people, but entire neighborhoods could be built underground, safe and secure from nuclear blasts. Why? Because security is the hottest commodity for humanity. It always has been, and it continues to be today. And you can imagine the walk of shame that many people did who spent millions of dollars on some of these underground bunkers when they themselves walked into the hospital because they contracted COVID-19. And as Mayor Bill de Blasio of New York City says, the coronavirus does not care about your zip code. And I haven't even mentioned the threat of cybercrime and the trillions of dollars that were, that were uh, expensed just in 2020 already. Security is the greatest commodity for humanity. It was then, it is today, and it is for you and it is for me. Friends, the book of John, the gospel of John, was written so that you and I might have life and we might have it to the full. And John was written so that you might believe. 85 times in his gospel, he said, believe, believe in me. Well, what are we to believe? And in the very end of John, John makes it plain to us. John says explicitly, these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Listen, don't let this pass too quickly. Like, 
the Gospel of John was written so that you might believe, and in believing, have life, have true security in him. So if we are longing for security in Kim, um, as a people, if we want security more than anything else, where do we find it? Well, we find it in this passage that John offers us this morning in John chapter 10. I want you to know three things about this passage. Number one, I need you to hear the shepherd's voice. I need you to see the sheep's marks. And I need you to feel the shepherd's grip. I need you to hear the shepherd's voice, feel the sheep's, uh, see, uh, uh, see the sheep's marks, and feel the shepherd's grip. First, hear the shepherd's voice. Now, in this passage, if you have your Bibles open, you may notice that there's a period of time that has passed between verse 21 and 22, about two months. The first part of chapter 10 happened in October. The second part of chapter 10 of John happened in December. It was at that time of the Feast of Dedication that it took place in Jerusalem. Now, the Feast of Dedication is a feast that's not in the Old Testament. It was a feast of dedication of the temple. In the Old Testament, there are two dedications of the temple. There's the dedication of the Temple of Solomon in 1 Kings chapter 8. And then later, there's the dedication that Zerubbabel leads the people in. As he came out of captivity to Babylon, and he rededicates the second temple. And then in the intertestamental period of time, that is the time between Malachi and Matthew, the, the, the nation of Israel, the Jews, were under Persian control. And then they were under Greek control during Alexander the Great. And then when the Ptolemies were the ones who had power over Israel, there was a, a young man named Judas Maccabees, Judas the Hammer, they called him, who rose up amidst great taxation and great burden of the people, and he led a revolt against the Ptolemies, and he led a revolt against the oppressors of Israel. And for 103 years, did you know this? For 103 years, right up until just the decade before Jesus was born. Israel lived relatively autonomously as a nation. And so they, every year, would celebrate the Festival of Lights, the Feast of Dedication, which Jews today call what? Hanukkah. So here Jesus is at Hanukkah, celebrating the Festival of Lights. And John tells us that it was winter. It was winter because it was in the wintertime. And also because perhaps as the literary poet that he was, he's also communicating that it was spiritually very cold. In verse 24 and 25, tell us, they say to Jesus, how long will you keep us in suspense? Would you please tell us if you're the Christ? Just tell us. Literally in Greek, it says, until when will you lift up our souls? When, how long will you keep us in suspense? And what does Jesus say in verse 24 and 25? Jesus says, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do, I do in my Father's name. They bear witness about me. I've told you. I've told you. And the works that I do bring glory and honor to my Father. It was that way through the six signs that he did all the way through the book of John, as John records. It was just as he told them back in chapter 8, verse 58, when Jesus said, before Abraham was born, I am, Jesus has told them. And they want him to just be explicit about him being the Christ. But notice Jesus is very careful about his language because he knows that to say that he is the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah, 
had such incredible military and political implications because Israel, remember, they were free for 103 years. And now they're again under Roman oppression. It had such incredible implications that Jesus didn't use that term. But he said, I've told you plainly, through my actions, through my life, through the things that I've done, I have made it clear to you. And then he explains why they didn't get it. He says, but, verse 26, you do not believe. Why do you not believe? Because you don't have the courage to believe? Because you don't have the intellectual ability? No, Jesus doesn't say that. Jesus says, you do not believe. Why? Because you're not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice. They know the shepherd's voice. Do you know that sheep in real life know the shepherd's voice? You can take somebody. You can go on YouTube if you're bored this afternoon. You can watch videos where people have tried to call shepherd sheep away from the shepherd. Hey! And they've tried to call them away from the shepherd. And the shepherd will sing. He'll just sing. And they hear the cadence of his voice, the tone of his voice. And the sheep, even around corners and bends, will hear the shepherd and they will come running to the shepherd. It's beautiful. Jesus says, you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. You do not hear my voice. And friends, it's important for us to know that in verse 27, Jesus gives us a very important order of operations. In verse 27, he says, my sheep hear my voice. They hear my voice. I've called them. I know them. He said earlier in the chapter that he has laid down his life for us, that he might take it up again. Jesus has initiated our relationship. He is the one that has made the first move. Do you see that in the text? My sheep hear my voice, and I know them. Earlier, he said, I'm the good shepherd. I lay my life down for the sheep, verse 15 of chapter 10. Jesus is the one who has called us to himself. And I know them. I know them intimately, as we looked at last week. A shepherd intimately knows his sheep. He can see them amidst a crowd. He knows who are his. He knows them. And then what happens after that? And they follow me. Notice the order. They hear my voice. Shepherd calls. Jesus knows us. And then we follow. This is a very important order for us to get. Why? Because we must realize that it is a shepherd's voice that comes first in our salvation. The shepherd calls us. And we respond not because we sought the shepherd out. We respond in faith because it was Jesus who first pursued us. We love because first he loved us. Is that true for you? Do you love him? The first thing you have to see in this text is that we have to hear the shepherd's voice. The second thing is that Jesus says, they follow me. They have the marks of my sheep. Notice what it says in the text. Verse 26 says, I give them eternal life. There it is. Notice the order of operations. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. My sheep know me, and no one is able to snatch them out of my hand. What are the marks of God's sheep? Well, verse 26, he says that you're not among my sheep. Literally in Greek is you don't have the characteristics of my sheep. You don't have the marks. Well, what are the marks? What are the marks of somebody who trusts and believes and loves Christ? Well, first, 
we recognize that Jesus is divine. Notice later on in the passage, Jesus quotes from Psalm 82. He quotes from Psalm 82, and he takes this one little word out of the psalm, the word God's. And he uses an argument from the lesser to the greater, and that he says to the Jews, listen to me, please, friends, Jews, religious leaders of the day. Listen, if you believe in the Old Testament, and you believe and call the judges of Israel, which is what the psalmist is referring to, those who had the word of the Lord and proclaimed it to the people, if you called them gods, if you called them gods, and yet you do not give to me, the one who doesn't just judge Israel, but the one who judges the world, you don't call me a god, then you have missed, you have missed the point. Jesus gives an argument from the lesser to the greater. If the judges of Israel were called God in Psalm 82, then certainly you should also call me God because I have a territory, an expanse. I rule far more than just the territory of Israel. I rule over the whole world and even the whole universe. So first, we believe that Jesus is God. That's one of the marks of what it means to be a sheep. And secondly, we believe him. We don't just know it intellectually, but we believe him. And the best way I know to get at whether you believe or not is to ask the question, do you love God? Like, do you love him? Do you love him? Like, I've been married for 15 years. But the question of does my wife, does Lauren love God, is not a question I can answer for her. It's a deeply personal question. Do you love God? Like, I know you know about him. I know that you want to love him. Do you love him? I can't answer that question for Lauren, and she can't answer that question for me. Blake Altman, do you love God? Nobody can answer that question except for me. And so also, this deeply personal question nobody else can answer but for you. Do you love God? Remember, this is what Jesus said to Peter after Peter denied him three times. Jesus came to Peter, and Jesus says, no, 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 listen, you're among my sheep. Take heart, take heart, you're mine. No, Jesus said to Peter, Peter, do you love me? Of course you know I love you, Lord. No, do, do you love me? Go feed my sheep. Do you love me, Peter? So do you love him? Because it's one thing to understand Jesus intellectually. It's another thing to love him. This is a comprehensive faith. This is a faith that says, yes, not just with my mind, but with my will, with my emotions. I love you. Do you love him? Do you see the good shepherd? Do you hear his voice? The marks of the sheep are that we recognize him as divine, that we see him as beautiful, that we love him. When I got my... Um, when I got my car back from the shop not long ago, my radio in my car didn't work quite right. And the reason it didn't work quite right, it just had static for every station. And there are stations in this city that are so easy to pick up, it seems like you would not need very much to do it. But you need an antenna. And my antenna had been damaged. And when they adjusted my antenna, what once was just full of static, all of a sudden came crystal clear with music. And it's the same way. People who love God have ears to hear him. And they hear him through his word. And when they hear him through his word, they're beginning to get a sense of that security that they need and that they long for. Because it's not just um, seeing that he's divine. It's not just loving him. It's also being able to, to listen to his voice. 
Verses 3 and verses 27 of chapter 10 tell us that we must hear the voice of the Lord. Do you hear his voice? Do you spend time in his word? Are you meditating on his word often? Like, do you hear it? Because, friends, we all have idols and counselors of our heart. And we, of all people, if security is the hottest commodity for humanity, we are going to run to any counselor that seems to give us some promise that we long for. This is the way it was in the Old Testament with Habakkuk. They set up false idols and speechless idols. We come to these idols. Our financial portfolio, our security of our family, our bunkers that are subterranean, whatever the idol is, our job security at work. They're speechless idols. Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver, and therefore it has no breath at all in it. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. Why? Because the only place you can find true security is in him. And how do you get it? How do you know it? Because Jesus, friends, has first come for you. Remember the order of verse 27. Jesus gives us eternal life. We don't earn it. It's not because he looked down the corridor of time and saw that we would believe. It's not that we believed and that we banged on the door of heaven and said, please, would you let me in? No, Jesus gives us eternal life because he came to us as the good shepherd and he laid his life down for us. Don't you see that God first loved us? He came for you. And the begin beginning to understand how you have true security means that you have to admit that your problem of security is not simply where you live or your zip code or how safe you are from the coronavirus. It is a threat that cuts right down the center of the human heart, as Alexander Solzhenitsyn once said. It threatens every aspect of your being because the problem goes so deep. The problem isn't financial security or a place to live or a place to stay safe from tornadoes or the coronavirus. It is internal. And who can divide the human heart and put it back together again except the one who made it, the Lord himself? And so notice Jesus says that my people hear my voice and they follow me. How do you know if you have true security in Christ? You hear his voice. You love him. And you follow him. Now, we don't follow Jesus. Please hear me. Because by following Jesus, he remains pleased with our behavior. We do not do that. There's an old hymn that says, our pleasure and our duty, though opposite before, since we have seen Christ's beauty, are joined to part no more. Though the law of Christ fulfilled, we hear his pardoning voice, and he changes us from slaves into a child and duty into choice. And all those commands that Jesus commanded of us in the Old Testament and of the New become delightful to us. They don't become burdens that we have to bear anymore. Why? Because we know the shepherd and we hear his voice. And we gladly walk in those calls to obedience. And those calls to obedience are comprehensive. They're, they're a call to every area of our life. Notice that in the part that Lori read for us earlier, beginning with verse uh, 31, within the Jews, after Jesus says, I and the Father are one, amazing statement, which is a whole sermon in itself. I and the Father are one, not is one, are one. Why? Because the, you see the pictures of the Trinity there together. And immediately after he said that, they knew with no mistake what he was saying. 
Jesus was saying he was God. And they pick up stones to execute him. And so here in verse 31 on down through verse 42, you have the height of tension. I mean, this is an execution waiting to happen. And what does Jesus do amidst the threat of these stones? Jesus has a Bible study. And he quotes from Psalm 82. And he says, you have heard it said in your law. Why does he say in your law? The Psalms aren't the law. The Psalms are poetry. They're the writings. Jesus says the law because Jesus has a plenary view of Scripture, a, a plenary view You have a plenary outbreak at conferences you go to, an outbreak that's for everybody. A plenary view of Scripture means that Jesus saw all of Scripture unified. It was all God's law. It was all God's law. And we were to obey all of it. And so Jesus says, you have heard it said in your law. Jesus is saying that everything in the Bible is written for your benefit. It is written to help set you free. But it sets you free, not by calling it to be a duty, but it to be a choice because you have turned from being a slave and you become a child. And what I found true in my own heart is that it's not that God's commands are too hard, but it's that I can be cynical of his promises. I wonder if that's true for you too. It's not that the commands of Scripture are too hard you will do far more rigorous things for other things you believe in. It's that you're cynical of his promises. You hold back part of your life from God because you're cynical. Lord, you can have all of me, but don't touch my income. You can have all of me, but please don't touch my sex life. You can have all of me, but please don't touch this or that. And Jesus says, you have heard it said in your law, all of God's word is good for us. It is for us. It is to free us. And it is one of the ways that we know that we're secure in him because we continue to follow him. Now, um, let me stop here and let me clarify something that's very, very important for us to get. John 10 is a classic text, maybe even the best place in Scripture that teaches that our security is because of what Jesus has done for us. It's an objective security. He has us. But there will be two groups of people, and they ask very different questions about John chapter 10. One group of people asks, how can I keep this security? Because they assume you can lose it. How can I keep it? And they tend to use God's law as a way to measure whether they're still in God's good graces or not. That's not what we believe John 10 teaches. And there's another group of people that ask the question, Do I have it? Do I have this true security? And the marks that I have it is that I begin to walk in holy obedience to him. And those marks are not rungs of a ladder to get God to approve of us. Those marks are confirmation in our own heart that we do indeed have it. Do you see the difference? So we don't ask, Lord, how can I, what can I do not to lose it? No, instead we say, we've got it. How can we walk in the joy and freedom of knowing that we are no longer slaves, but we are children of the living God? And therefore, we live, right? What was once seen as duty has now been turned to choice. We can live and walk as sons of God. And there is an old, old um, Scottish pastor named Samuel Rutherford who years ago, he said, oh, when once 
He shall thrust a wearied traveler's head upon his breast. The poor soul will think one kiss of Christ worth 50 years of sore hearts. Don't settle for Esau's morning breakfast. In other words, he's saying obeying God's word is worth 50 years of sore hearts, 50 years of persecution, 50 years of suffering, even if just for one kiss of Christ, much less in eternity with him. Obeying God's word is what we do. We follow him. Richard Loveless um, says this. He says that only a fraction of the present body of professing Christians are solidly appropriating the justifying work of Christ in their life. Much of what we interpreted as a defect in our sanctification, that is, our growth in holiness, is actually a defect in our understanding of our justification. Christians who are no longer sure that God loves and accepts them in Jesus, apart from their present spiritual achievements, are subconsciously, radically insecure people. Their insecurity shows itself in pride and a fierce defensiveness of their own righteousness and a defensive criticism of others. They come naturally to hate other cultural styles and other races in order to bolster their own security and discharge their suppressed anger. Do you hear what he's saying? What he's saying is that your defect is not in your holiness. Your defect is in believing in Christ, believing in his promises, believing that he laid his life down for you. And if you're in him, no one will be able to snatch them out of the Father's hand, which takes us to the third point. You have to hear his voice. You have to see the marks of a believer, marks of the sheep, and you have to feel his grip. Notice that you have to feel his grip. Verse 28, no one is able to to take them, snatch them out of God's hand. The basis of our security is God's action and commitment to cling to us, not our own good works to stay in his grip. He has us in his grip. Have you ever noticed that whenever um, a child has a toy that another child wants, what does that child do with that toy? It's a precious toy, right? He takes that to- toy and he raises it as far as he can above his head. And, and the other child jumps. If it's a little brother or sister, jumps trying to get that toy. And he holds it up tight. And what does he do with that toy? He grips it. Why? Because it's his precious. And in our own life, sometimes the tightness of God's grip squeezes us. Squeezes us hard. Because notice the text says, no one will snatch them out of the Father's hand, which presupposes that there will be attempts to snatch us out of God's hand. And so therefore, God squeezes. He's going to hang on to you no matter what. He holds on to you as though hanging on to you over a cliff. He squeezes your hand. And many people will say, well, listen, God, this whole Christianity thing is just like a, it's a moral straitjacket. No, it's not. It's the tightening grip of a loving shepherd. That's what it is. He's got you. And he's calling you to obey his his moral law. Why? Because he wants to protect you. So he squeezes you. Sometimes he squeezes us in our circumstances, doesn't he? And painful it may feel. But it is your loving Heavenly Father's embrace, keeping you safe, gripping you. Do you feel his grip? Do you know the grip of your shepherd? 
one of, um, one of the great mysteries that I've often wondered about one of my favorite early church fathers is about Augustine, who many of you know is one of my favorites. I named my youngest child after him. And Augustine did not believe in the doctrine of Christian assurance. Did you know that? I can't wait to ask him why. What he said in the books that he wrote is that he didn't believe in the doctrine of Christian assurance because he believed that that doctrine would make Christians arrogant. They would have it, and therefore they would grow proud. And what many people after him, Martin Luther, John Calvin, John Knox, many brothers and sisters after Augustine have said, is that when you understand the nature of Christian assurance, that, that Jesus hangs on to you. He's got you in his grip. He will never let you go. That doesn't make you arrogant. It humbles you to the dust. Why? There's, you show me a Christian who's arrogant, and I'll show you a Christian who has not yet appropriated the justifying work of Christ in their life who doesn't yet get the cost that their Savior gave up for them to win them. There's no room for arrogance in the Christian life because we did nothing to earn it. What are you being arrogant about? Are you being arrogant that you're numbered among Christ's sheep? Well, again, it was Jesus that called you to be his sheep. He was the one who initiated that relationship. You did nothing. And the good news of that is that if you believe in the doctrine of assurance, if you have true security, if you really know him, it is yours and it will last. It will never be taken away from you. And if you're an arrogant Christian, if you're a proud Christian, then the question you should be asking is, is do I have it? Not can I lose it, because you can never lose it. But do I have it? And that's a very good question for some of you. Do you believe in him? Is he beautiful? Do you love him? Can you hear his voice? Do you obey his will according to his law? Are you cynical about his promises? One last thing I'll mention is that because the shepherd has us in his grip, our sense of assurance is intermittent. It is intermittent. The reformers used to say it should be the prized possession of every believer in Jesus Christ that they know for certain that they are indeed sons and daughters of the king. But that sense of assurance, while objectively we are his forever, subjectively it feels intermittent, doesn't it? David said, O Lord, take not your Holy Spirit from me. O Lord, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. And some of you see with fits and starts, a great, you feel a great sense of your father's love, and then you feel like his love is pulled back from you. It's not that his love has ever changed of you. It's that something has happened because of our own sin nature that has set us at a distance from him either in our obedience or through the natural effects of the fall, of depression, of melancholy, of just having a difficult day. The feeling is intermittent. And that intermittent aspect of your sense of assurance should never cause you to doubt your assurance, but it should cause you to run again to him in repentance and faith. And that indeed, running back to him in repentance, is how you know subjectively again and again that yes, you're his, because you follow him. You hear his voice. So while we may spend millions of dollars on subterranean bunkers decked out with luxurious amenities, our problem runs far too deep. Our problem of sin can't be solved 
by moving to a new zip code, or building an underground bunker, or protecting ourselves from cybercrime, walling us off from the bad, bad world, because we are the ones who carry the greatest virus in the world, the virus of sin. And it's only in hearing Christ's voice, do you hear it? The shepherd's voice, come to me all who are heavy laden and I will give you rest. It's only when we see the marks of the sheep that they listen to his voice, that they follow him. And it's only when we feel his grip, we know his loving embrace. Sometimes that grip is tight because he loves us. But he will never, ever, ever let us go. At the end of the passage, Jesus goes back to where his ministry began, near the area where John began to baptize across the Jordan. And it says that many, many people believed in him there. How about in your home? Do you believe in him there? Would you feel his grip, his loving embrace? Do you hear his voice singing over you his love? And would you comfort each other with these words? Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we pray that you would take your word and that you would massage our heart with it and you would remind us that it is our great privilege to know indeed, to be conscious of the fact that we are your children and to have eternal security, to be assured of your love for us, because it was your work, Lord Christ, that accomplished our security on the cross. It isn't our performance. It is your finished work. And so, Father, would you help us to run to obedience because you have seen the righteousness of your Son when you view us because of faith. Thank you for your gifts to us to open our heart to believe. And we pray, I pray, Lord, for those who are deeply concerned about their own security, that you would comfort them with this great doctrine that you would help them to see the beauty of Christ who laid his life down as the great shepherd, that he might also take it back up again voluntarily, victorious over sin and death, so that he might provide the remedy to our greatest problem, the greatest virus, that of human sin, that he might forgive us of that sin, and he might cloak us and cover us in his righteousness. And so therefore, Lord, help us to run and sing and dance and obey as children who are covered in the righteousness of your Son. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen.